Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your heart blameless and holy before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus for all his saints. May these give us confidence in gospel hope. Well, good morning, church. Try it one more time. Good morning, church. Are you fired up for God's word? Say yes. Awesome. Turn your Bibles now, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you are a guest, and indeed, if it's your first Sunday here, you are a guest. We're so incredibly glad that you're here. We believe that the Lord has brought you here. If you need a Bible this morning, there are racks of Bibles on shelves at both of our campus. We would invite you to grab one of those this morning. You also, if you have a smartphone, indeed, you can download a Bible right now. Our desire is this, is that you would see God's Word for yourself, hold it in your own hands so that you can read what it is God has to say to us this morning through His Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're in verses 17 through 20. But even as you're finding your way there, let me pray one more time. Father, we need you today. We need your presence and your strength. We need your Holy Spirit to teach and to guide us now. Lord God, would you unite our hearts today? Would you reveal to us the gospel connection that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, this is our desire and our hope today. Would you strengthen us for the spiritual battle that is before us that we might leave here laying claim to the victory that has already been won by your son. God, this is our prayer, and we pray it now in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said, so for those of you who are new, uh, we are in a series called Connection. Nope. We're in a series called what? Say it. Confidence. But the word today is connection. Say connection. Here's the goal. We together, together, together are striving to grow in our gospel confidence. So say the word together. Now say connection. Today the Lord desires to reveal to us the confidence that is found in our gospel connection. You see, if there's one thing that has certainly been seared into all of our hearts and our minds and our lives... Uh, This one sentiment for sure, I think we all can agree on. Isolation is a dangerous thing. And being together matters. One thing this past year has seared into all of our hearts and minds. If you didn't believe it before, if you were living as a hermit before, now you got what you wanted, and now we have buyer's remorse. I need people. You see, from what I can tell, no matter what side of the aisle uh, you reside on, whatever your ideologies might be, whatever news source you choose to frequent on cable, I like to tune into both sides just to see what in the world is happening. This one common sentiment 
It's something that we have known from the beginning of time. Genesis 2, chapter 18, God said it himself, it is not good for man to be alone. As a matter of fact, if you Google right now, news article, negative effects of isolation, some 269 million hits will come up on Google. Read, loneliness, despair, anxiousness, tiredness, moodiness. Can I get an amen there? Depression, fear, anxiety, hopelessness, loss, on and on and on. In short, what can we draw from this? Connection and confidence go hand in hand. Connection and confidence go hand in hand. Hand, but warning, while a lack of connection can deplete our confidence for sure, not all connection builds our confidence back. Have you experienced this? Anyone have any negative connections in your life at any point in your life? Any negative connections? Come on. Anyone have the privilege of never having a negative connection? Maybe some of these. Maybe some of these have been your negative connection. I don't know. Have you met negative Nellie? She's a champ. Divisive Dan? Love him. Narcissist Ned? He's the greatest. Just ask him. He'll tell you. Worldly Williams having all the fun. Tempting Ted is drawing you in. Connie the conspiracy. Come on. Sit down. She will entertain you for hours. Freddy the fearmonger, only a little doses. Ida the idealist. And um, note this if your name is Karen, we'd love you. <laughs> With all of your heart, we love you. We have not one negative thing to say about you. The Lord loves you, and we invite you into this gospel centered connection. You see, who we surround ourselves with with matters. Who we surround ourselves with matters. It's been said that you are the sum. You are the average of the five people whom you spend the most amount of time with. Have you heard this? Now, while I personally think the number five is rather arbitrary, I think, it, I think there's a point. I think a number could be higher. I think a number could be lower. But the point is this. Whom you choose to spend your time around will affect who you are. It will affect how you act and how you think. It will raise your confidence or it can also lower your confidence. Who you connect with matters. Who we spend time with matters. Did you hear about the guy who picked up two birds at the local pet store? He picked up two birds, both in separate cages at the time, and one was a singing bird, and the other one was a cursing bird. And so seeing that they needed to be friends, he put the two birds in one cage. And after two weeks' time, you know what he had? Two cursing birds. Who we surround ourselves with matters. And it is much easier to pull one down than it is to lift another up. Friends, how is your level of connection right now? 
coming through this past year and all that you've endured and all of that we've experienced, like where are you at in reassimilating back into life? Surrounding ourselves with the wrong people at this time can have incredibly negative effects. So many do surround themselves with the wrong people simply because they're afraid of being alone. Some people will become friends with anybody because they're tired of being alone. How's your connection? Are you tired? Are you afraid of being alone? See, one of the amazing joys of the gospel, one of the amazing joys, one of the amazing miracles of the gospel is this. It offers to satisfy. The gospel offers to satisfy our soul's longing for eternal belonging. Friend, there is no connection quite like gospel connection. And so if this season of isolation has created a hunger in you, come feast upon the bread of the gospel and feel what the Lord has to fill the void in the hunger of your soul. You see, here's the deal. Whether you've coming out of having zero connection or whether you're having a little connection or whether, you know what, I'm feeling great, Pastor. I have great connection in my life. Praise God for that. But the point this morning is this. The gospel offers you still more. You will never exhaust the sense of belonging that can be experienced when you plummet the depths of gospel connection. You see, in the gospel is this inexplicable hope. Even when you are all by yourself, you're never alone. Gospel connection is this. Even when you feel lost in a crowd, and some of you do, The gospel reminds you you still have a place. And even, in, even when you've found your place, his grace is this, that he still draws you in closer still. For we will never be alone. We have Jesus. We'll always have a place. It's called his church. And he will always draw us closer because we are part of the family, the community, the kingdom of God. And so, friends, come on, this is where we're headed today, finding grace and confidence and gospel connection. Could you use a, just a little more strengthening your connection today? If you could, say, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is going to breathe more confidence into this young church. This infant church that is just now beginning into its toddler stages, if you will, in the spiritual life. He's going to breathe confidence into their frame by reminding them that even in his absence, they still possess gospel connection. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, now we are endeavoring all the more eagerly and with a great desire to see you face to face. Why? Well, because we, we wanted to come to you. And I, Paul, again and again and again, but Satan hindered me. But despite his hindering, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown? 
What is our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? What will demonstrate victory? It is it not you, church? Thessalonians, it's you. For you are our glory and our joy, Paul says. Paul here demonstrates for us three realities of gospel connection. You see, you and I will be built up in our confidence when, you, when we remember that we have three things in common. And here is the first one. We have a common bond. Your confidence in the gospel will grow when you step back and you realize that you are not alone. You will never be alone. You can have confidence in this. You have a common, we have a common bond. Look at verse 17. Paul goes back, he says, and we, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavor more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Paul is currently separated from this church. But even in his physical absence, he is He is completely filled and overwhelmed with this sense of bond that he has with the church, whether he's with them or not. Come on, put our thinking caps on, a little bit of review. Um, What does Paul say here? Uh, But since I was torn away from you, since I was torn away from you. Do you remember how Paul was torn away? Paul, on his second missionary journey, is preaching the gospel. He's imprisoned in Philippi just before visiting Thessalonica, but then when he goes to Thessalonica, he preaches the gospel. A riot forms, a mob forms. They begin to torch things and run him out of town and drive him out. Look at how Paul describes it. He says, I was torn away. Torn. I was torn. Away. It wasn't my desire, but we were ripped apart. I would have wanted it another way, and I would still long to be with you. Oh, what a strategic group of people. The love and the heart and the depths of my affection for you, but I was, but I was ripped, and it hurts. It wasn't meant to be this way. Have you ever been torn away from someone you love? In this instance, Paul says this, I was torn away from you, brothers. I was torn away from you, sisters. I was torn away from you, family. This is what I don't want us to miss here. We have a common bond and our confidence as a church, our confidence as a people, our confidence as a gospel-centered community is this, is not seeing ourselves merely as an institution. We are not a corporation. We are not a business. We are not merely a movement. We are a family. Church, look around. This is your spiritual family. You see, when you repented and trusted in Jesus for your salvation, the Bible says you became part of God's family. Write down this verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God predestined you for adoption to himself as sons. 
and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. 2 Corinthians 6.18, write this one down and put it somewhere so you can see it regularly. God says this to you, I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and my daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, this is our common bond. That we were once aliens and we were once sojourners, but now we are fellow citizens. We are now under one household of God. This room is filled as a family of families. A family of families. What makes up the family of God? Your individual family. And so as you minister amongst your households, and that is your primary ministry day in and day out, husbands and wives building one another up, singles, you coming before the Lord and making him your strength. When we gather back up here, moms, dads, young, old, we come back here now reassembled all the families together as one eternal family of God. Come on, how deep is this bond? You tell me. What would you do for family? What wouldn't you do for family? Some of you are like, Pastor, there's nothing I wouldn't do for family. Others of you, you're like, Pastor, I need some help because this whole family illustration isn't all that positive for me. See, whether your coming up was a positive experience or a negative one, the negative one hurts so bad because we long for a positive one. And so here, the Lord reminds us that there's a father who loves you. There's a father who made provision through his son to adopt you. And that whether you want to be or not, you are sitting beside your brothers and your sisters. Get over it. At the end of the day, we're family. And I want to be very sensitive here with the words I use next, but the words torn away. Aporphonizo literally means to be made an orphan. So what Paul is saying here is, when I was torn away from you, when I was torn away from you as your spiritual father, the one who had the privilege of sharing the gospel with you, the one who got to see you turn to Jesus, I bear a level of responsibility in this family. And as I was being torn away from you, it was as if you were being orphaned. And so my heart aches, is what he's saying. And so my longing is to come back. I want you to stop and consider how many times over the apostle Paul's heart had to feel this way about the spiritual family of God. How many times he went to churches and began churches and ministered to churches just to be run off again. And the nagging and the aching that comes Paul's saying, I was torn away from my family. Friends, do you see why staying connected to the family of God is so, is so important? 
Can you connect these dots for yourself? You see, when we avoid church, we can begin to lose our connection. We can begin to feel disconnected, almost like orphans, almost like those without a family or a home. And inevitably, we will begin, our confidence will begin to wane. Why? Because it's the isolation. Friends, this too, this is why church departures and separations hurt so much. Because we're family. Look, whether a family moves away, whether a family, whether an individual chooses to attend another church, and by God's grace, other people, you can choose to attend another church, and, or whether you're commissioned to do the work of mission and ministry in another place, every person who is commissioned out or leaves from here, it always hurts. Why? Because we're family. Hear me. It should never not hurt. Whether your departure is positive or negative, it should never not hurt. Because we're family. When and if you were to leave this church, this is our perspective, your family. If you come here from another church, hear this. They're still family. And we're going to respect them like family. And we go to certain uh, in-laws' house for Christmas, but we know we still have family to visit. We're a family. We are the family of God locally gathered here. Our commitments indeed reside with one another here. We understand that we are gathered together here, but we also recognize this, that the family of God is just so much bigger than here as well. Family does not duck family in Walmart. Okay, maybe sometimes you want to. But that's the goal, right? The goal is to pick up the phone, make the call, haven't seen you in a while, how are you doing? We're like, I don't want to touch that, just in case. Come on, church. God's gospel is so much sweeter than that. Paul says, I was torn away. We're family. I want to be with you. The beautiful thing is, no matter how far you go, no matter how far you go, we're family. Moms and dads, do you remember... um, First time you dropped little one off at preschool, remember? You're going to pick him up in three hours. Oh, but it hurt so bad. You remember that? Oh, yes. Come on, how about, how about high school? High school, you're like, oh, I've only got three more years. Or somebody's like, man, I got three more years. Sweet. <laughs> Come on, college, college. Moms and dads, anyone, anyone at that season, you drove, you drove and you got dropped off at college. I will never forget the un, I didn't see it coming. I'll never forget the surprise when I actually felt a pit in my stomach and tears started to flow. As my parents drove off, there is just something about You know that feeling? Paul's feeling that times a thousand. 
And in light of this feeling, Paul is holding on to this, verse 17. A couple of the worship team are going to help me with an illustration, guys. You can come out here now. But in light of this feeling, Paul is holding on to this. But though we were torn away from you only for a short time in person, but not in heart. I was torn away from you in person, but not in heart. Paul is holding on to this. He still has a spiritual and a spiritual bond with the Thessalonian church. Mr. Drennan, can you stand up on this box? You're going to represent the Lord. All right? Hold on to that rope. You mustn't let go. Mustn't. You like that? You, you want to stand on that side? Sure. Super. And you need to hold on to this rope, too. Okay? And you need to hold on to this rope, three. And I'm going to hold on to this rope as well. You see, Romans chapter 8 says this. Nothing, 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 right? Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Like Nothing. You are omnipotent right now. Do not get pulled off that box. It will ruin the illustration. <laughs> nothing, nothing will ever break the bond of this rope. But you see, because Eric and I are bound to the Lord, we also together have this spiritual bond. But listen, neither height nor depth, right, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, right? Nor famine, nor sore, but the reality is, but the reality is all these things. Whoa, hello. <laughs> all of these things. Any one of those things indeed will affect our earthly connection. But even as this breaks even as distance can come between us. We will always have this connection. Even if I'm traveling to another land and I can't see him, he and I still have this connection. Friends, this is why. This is why when we go on mission trips, this is why when you visit another church that is like-minded in gospel faith, you can walk in and you can immediately pick up the rope. This is why even when people move away and they come back to church, you can just so easily pick back up the gospel rope. Why? Because nothing, nothing, though we are separated in person, nothing will ever whoa, hello, separate us because we have the bonds of Jesus. Do you see how this works? Would you thank the guys? Come on, thank them for this. Nothing will ever separate us. And this visual, let it be seared in your head because we're going to have to get used to this. Moms and dads, this is why you can launch your children into the world. If you've raised them in the gospel, you'll never be separated from them. Come on, friends, this is how we can multiply small groups. I know how painful that is. I'm never going to see my friends again. And then, yes, you are. This is how we're going to be able to commission people from this church and launch them to plant new churches. This is how we're going to raise people up and send them to the far reaches of the world. Are we going to miss them? Oh, my word, like crazy. But we will never be separated from them. Oh, my heart needs this. 
Oh, as a shepherd, oh, as a church family, how we've wept over the departure of people over the years. But we're family. Some of you have gone and come, and I'm just so grateful that, you're back, that we got a rope, the rope, the rope, it's fine. Praise God. That's why the door always remains open. Because we're family, we're family, we're family. Turn to somebody and say, you're stuck with me. I'm just going to let that go for a little bit. You see, this was a church that longed to be together. This was a church that longed to be together. When it comes to connection, nothing beats face-to-face. Can I just say that? When it comes to connection, nothing beats face-to-face. Paul longed to be with his church, but this church also longed to be with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 says this. Just a couple of verses away, here's what we're going to read. Paul says, But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and that you long to see us as well, just as we long to see you. And I want to say this with not one ounce of pressure, all grace, because this is, this is, a, this is an expression of affection is that I'm just so grateful that the Lord has blessed us with technology. And I'm so grateful that we've been able to assemble under the covering of Jesus on our campuses and as we gather online for sure. But the shepherd in me, in the heart of our elders and pastors, we are longing for the day when we can all be together again face to face. Amen? I can hear your amen online as well. But through this time, what have we known? We have a common bond. We are a family. Those of you who are online right now, you are just as much a part of this family. We love you. And no matter where you are right now, we are one. All over the world, God's family, our family, is gathered. And because we are one family in this bond, we now fight a spiritual battle together. Nothing brings people together more than a common goal, a common cause, which for us is Jesus. But then maybe just after that would be a common enemy. That's point two. Paul says, look, we're bound together by a common bond. But I want you to see this, this bond that is just, I just want to be with you so But you know what's happened? I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and Paul's reiterating, and I've tried, and I've tried to get back to you. And in this rare occurrence, Paul actually uses his own name, I, Paul. What is he emphasizing? Just how much he himself wants to get back to see this church. You know that little voice you have in your head that's like, I better call my mom. I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. They're due a call. You know what? We haven't visited. Hey, where's so-and-so been? You know that little kind of clock that's going off in your head? That's what Paul is feeling right now. He knows this church is due. He knows the depth of his affection and the relationship mandates and requires him coming back around and seeing how things are going. 
And so he's kind of falling all over himself here, saying, listen, I want you to know I love you, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've really tried, and I love you, and I haven't forgotten about you, but listen, look at what he says. I've tried, verse 18, because I wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered me. But Satan hindered me. You see, a common bond also gives us a common battle, which also gives us a common enemy. Who's our enemy? Straight up, it's Satan. Satan's goal is to oppose the gospel of Jesus and to separate his church. It's to thwart the progress of the gospel of Jesus and to bring disunity and separation in the church of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Have you seen these shows? Have you seen these National Geographic shows? Have you seen the Discovery Channel? Probably got to pay for the app or something. But if, if you could get on there and you could watch these animal shows, you know, which one the, you know which one the lion always gets, right? Come on, which gazelle always goes down? The one who's running alone. He's seeking to devour. He's prowling around. And if you find yourself isolated, if you find yourself alone, friend, you're finding yourself vulnerable. There is gospel confidence and gospel connection go hand in hand. Don't isolate. We have a real enemy, which means it's a real battle. Do you know how to fight it? Ephesians chapter 6 gives us insight into how, and I just want to park here for just a moment because I don't think we talk enough about spiritual battle. I don't think we talk enough about spiritual opposition. I don't think we talk enough about the reality that you and I are in the midst of a spiritual battle, fighting a spiritual war moment by moment. And it's this kind of passivity and this kind of blasé toward this topic that makes us that much more susceptible God's word says this, Ephesians chapter 6. You can turn there if you like. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Come on now, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly places. And oh, how we need to hear this. We spend so much energy fighting on the earthly plane when that which stands in opposition of the gospel ultimately is a spiritual war. And God gives us great clarity about how we are supposed to fight this battle. Do you know how you fight? Come on, let me ask you a question. Are you fighting for victory today? Are you fighting for victory today? Say no. Say no. No. Actually, say it. Say no. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You're not trying to climb some spiritual mountain so that you can win. God's already put you on the top of Mount Victory, and it's there that you are called to stand firm. I've placed you in a position of victory. Now don't fall. I've placed you in a position of victory. Now stand in defense. I've put you in a place where you cannot be moved, but you will be come up against. So what do you got to do? Stand firm. 
This idea that you're on this kind of treadmill all the time trying to please God, trying to make it work, and wondering why I just can't make it. Because you can't make it on your own. Even if you tried. This is the grace of the gospel. And so what he offers you is gospel armor. And every piece of this gospel armor does indeed stand in defense of the schemes of the devil. You ready for this? You got your pens ready? Come on, this is battle plan time. Get your pens. Come on online. You got your pens. Myerstown, you got your pens. Check this out. We're called to stand firm. How do we stand firm? We got to stand firm by being, number one, aware. We got to stand aware. What are we aware of? Number one, who is our enemy? Be aware of the devil, but do not be afraid of him. Be aware of the devil, but do not be afraid of him. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this, be aware of the battleground. Be aware of the tactics. Be aware of his work in the world. Be aware of his work in the world, but don't be overwhelmed by it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says the devil is the prince in the power of the air. He is at work in this world. You are surrounded by propaganda all the time. Know it, but don't be consumed by it. Be aware of the devil, but not afraid of him. Be aware of his work in the world, but not overcome by it. Now this, be aware of the temptation of your own flesh. Be aware of the temptation of your own flesh. For the devil will use the systems of the world to tantalize and to seek to draw you in. He is, a, he is a tempter, a tempter, a tempter, a tempter. And then when you fail, he quickly becomes the accuser. That's how this works. And so we're aware of him, but not afraid. We're aware of his work in the world, but not overwhelmed. We're aware of, the, of his temptations, but we're not consumed. Galatians 5.17 says, your flesh is at war within you. You don't have to fight the devil personally. You just got to have a temptation way before you and the battle that's already inside you is its own thing. So you got to realize where does temptation reside? In the heart, in the mind. Where is the battle then? The battle is in the mind. That's why the scriptures say, Christian, renew your mind. Take every thought captive and renew your mind under the grace of the gospel. We're aware of the devil, but we're not afraid. We're aware of his work in the world, but we're not overwhelmed. We're aware of the temptation of our own flesh, but we're not consumed. Now this, we're aware of his limitations, but we will not underestimate him. We're aware of his limitations, but we will not underestimate him. Hear me. He cannot stand on top of this box. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. The scriptures make it clear. He is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. He does not know the mind of God. He's not omnipresent. Not as God is. He cannot be all places at once, as I read in the scriptures. Listen, listen, church, hear me. The devil has no power over you, but he does have influence in your life. He has no power over you, but he does have influence in your life. That's what you feel. As a believer in Jesus, you cannot be possessed by the devil nor a demon, but you can be oppressed, tempted. 
You standing firm? How? Put your armor on. 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 You want to know why? Because we experience evil days. Keep reading in Ephesians chapter 6. You see, therefore, it says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. You know what the evil day is? Temptation is hot. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. I don't know. I was feeling good yesterday, but today I'm about to blow my stack. Evil day. You see, it's in that day that we need to stand all the more firm. And so what we do is we put on, we put on, we put on the belt of truth. We put on, the, he says, stand therefore having put on the belt of truth. Why the belt of truth? Because John chapter 8 verse 44, Satan is a liar. Don't believe the lies. Tell the truth. Be integral in all things and you will not be tempted. Come on now this. Secondly, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Why? Why that? Because our adversary is a tempter. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5 says this. He is a tempter. And then Revelation 12, 9, he is also an accuser. And so what do we do? We bury ourselves in the righteous plans of God, understanding that his Holy Spirit is giving us the strength to already stand as righteous. When I put on the belt of truth, I'm reminding myself as what? God has forgiven me and he's made me true. I put on the breastplate of righteousness and I'm reminding myself, God has already declared me as righteous today. This is gospel armor. Now this, we're going to put on the shoes. We're going to, I love the old translation, shod your feet, right? With the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel. Why? Because 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 says the adversary is a deceiver. He brings forth doctrines of demons and false gospels. And so we need to make sure we're anchored to the true gospel. Second, Colossians chapter 2, so that we're not tossed to and fro by all of these crazy schemes and deceitful theories of our world. Come on, belt of truth, stand against the lies. Breastplate of righteousness, stand up, thwart off the tempter. Shoes of the gospel, he's a deceiver. Now this, shields of faith, shield of faith, shield of faith. Get up your shield of faith, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming dots, darts of the evil one. Why? Because our adversary is a sower of doubt. He's a sower of doubt. And as these darts come in, so do doubts come into your life. And you need to hold up your faith and say, no, the Lord has granted me the ability to stand. He has given me, he has quickened my mind. I am not going to succumb to these doubts today. Neither in who you say that I am or what you say I ought to do. I know that I stand secure in the gospel today. My shield is up. The key is reminding yourself God's already made you true. He's already made you righteous. He's already grounded your feet in the gospel. He's already given you the faith. You're not mustering up the strength toward all of these things. You're standing firm. Christian, this is going to change your treadmill life. And then the helmet of salvation goes on the head. 
Why? Because John 10.10 says our enemy is a thief. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. And oh, how he would love to steal your confidence in your salvation. Oh, how he would like to kill your hope in the gospel. Oh, how he would like to destroy your footing. But you put the helmet of salvation on and you remind yourself this. Not today, devil. God's given us an armor. This is the defensive armor. This is the defense of the gospel. But then he's given you this as well. He's given you something to fight forward with. It's called the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. And this Bible, and this Bible, your adversary has no defense. This book, this truth, your adversary has no defense. This book, this truth, nothing in this world will hold up to it. This is your offense. And so this is where you come. This is where you go. Lord, you have made me true. You have declared me as righteous. You have stood my feet firm in the gospel. Lord God, you've given me the faith to extinguish these doubts. Oh, Lord God, I am coming back again. Sometimes swinging the sword is more like diving deep into the stone where the sword resides so that you will not be moved. I will not be moved. Then comes the battle. Prayer. You want to take ground? Pray. You want to take ground? Pray. You want to hold ground? Get your armor on. You want to fight off the adversary? Swing the sword. You actually want to take ground? You'll pray. You actually want to take ground? You'll pray. You want to protect your family? You'll pray. You want to reach your neighbor? You'll pray. You want a church to grow? You'll pray. You want to see the political system changed? You'll pray. You want to see lives saved? You'll pray. And until we've prayed, we're wasting energy. That's how this works. We can smack our gums all day long, but unless we're moving our mouths in prayer, friends, we're just spinning our wheels. We've got to pray. Then action. Then action. Then action. But so much of our punches are landing hollow because we haven't had the power of prayer behind. And so we pray. The Apostle Paul says this, we're praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Come on, pray. After all this armor, he's like, now just pray. Make supplications for all the saints. That's the gospel connection. We got to pray for each other. And then he says, as you're praying for one another, pray for me. For what purpose? So that the gospel would go forward. Because gospel progress is evidence of victory. He says, pray this way. Keep going in chapter chapter 6 of Ephesians, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He is in a prison cell as he writes this. He's like, pray that the gospel will go forth because it has nothing to do with me being bound in chains right now. No limitation in that if you pray. Man, this is gospel hope. This is gospel confidence that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Oh, my word, oh, my word, that jail cell guard 
Can you imagine the numbers of sermons that guy heard after this? Gospel is our victory, which leads us to the third point. You see, we have a common bond in the gospel. We have a common battle that we fight together. But at the end of this fight, we have a common boast. We have a common boast. Look at what Paul says. Look, Satan's, Satan thinks he's winning, but he's not. Satan thinks he's hindering me and on an earthly plane. It can look like he is, but I'm telling you, look, look, look. For what is our hope? in the midst of this hindrance? What is our joy in the midst of this battle? What is our crown of victory? For at the end of a race, a wreath would have been laid upon the victor's head, symbolizing that he was the victor of the race. And he's saying, what will be the evidence that we have defeated the adversary, that we have won this race in the end? And he says this, is it not you? Paul's saying, I can undergo any temptation right now. I can stand against any acts of the adversary because I know that you are here. Awesome. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown or our boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? What will be evidence of victory in the end? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our crown. How can Paul be so sure of his victory here? Because salvation is our ultimate victory. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let me read this verse to you again. Now, now listen, friends, in all of these things, you are victors. You are more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves you. No matter what you're facing today, I'm sure of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers or authorities of this world, nor things present, nor even things that will come in the future, not powers, not heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will any of it ever be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying this is his greatest joy. In this instance, in this instance, his greatest joy is knowing this, when he is standing before Jesus, that the Thessalonians will be there too. What is our greatest joy in this instance? It's knowing that even as we seek to strive and preach the gospel, even as we undergo our own temptations and weekly separations, what is our joy? What is our crown? What is our evidence that there will be victory in the end? Is it not this gathering? Is it not the coming together as we do regularly to worship the victor, to worship the Lord, to come before the one who has died to secure victory over all things? This is our joy. This is our hope. This is our crown that we have this gospel connection. And so he goes on. And what I want to point out is this. Friends, we can endure anything. Paul is able to endure being separated. He's able to endure persecution. This church is able to endure all of this heartache. Why? Because Paul takes his eyes from here and he puts them up. Friends, you can endure anything if you keep looking up. You can make it through any trial or temptation if you keep looking 
up. He was able to overcome the trials of today because he had his hope set on that which was to come. Last point is this. Note it. Paul wasn't claiming a physical crown upon his head in this passage. In this particular instance, although other crowns are spoken of in the scriptures, he's not speaking of a physical crown. Who's the crown? It's people. There's nothing that you will take to heaven. The only thing you can take to heaven is people. The only work we have to do on this earth is to grow the family of God. And so this is our mission. This is why we are Mission Church. You are loved. And in this we are sent so that to the glory of God, more people can be reached and included into this family. Move over, save a seat, make room. We are a family. And there's coming a day when our works will be tried by fire. 1 Corinthians makes it abundantly clear. And that which will not remain, the wood, the hay, the stubble, it will be burned. And what will remain? Gold, precious stones. And among that which remains, trust me, at the top of the list will be what? What will be those good works that remain? Will it not be people? At the end of the day, When you stand before the Lord, will you be able to, as Paul says, this will be my joy in that moment. This will be my hope in that moment. This will be my reminder of victory that you will be with me there. Lord, we desire this. With all of our hearts, we desire this. Lord, we desire that you would galvanize us again and again and strengthen our bond that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we have this common bond. You've made us a family. We have a common battle and you've gathered us and assembled us as your army. And Lord, we have this common bond of being victors in Christ. But Lord, there are even those among us in this room and those who are gathered online who have yet... to see sin defeated in their life. Father, there are those who've yet to taste spiritual victory. God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, penetrate their hearts right now? Friend, even as I pause in this prayer, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says if you confess your sins to him, He's faithful and just to forgive you. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that if you believe in your heart, but you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and rose from the dead, you will be saved. So now where you are, you can pray. You can confess in your own words. And there's no repeat after me here. This is simply God, I want to believe. I know you sent your son to die for me. And I want to live my life for you. Friend, when you believe in your heart and you confess to the Lord, you made a new creation and you are part of the family of God and nothing will ever separate you from him. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do this work, 
Lord, we pray that we as a church family would be reminded and galvanized all the more in this that we would be able to sing a victor's song. We'd be able to raise a hallelujah as a victim in a, a unified victory voice. This battle has already been won, so we sing. And so now we pray and now we sing in the name of Jesus. And all of Mission Church said, come on. Amen.